I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Times are booming, and with them, IPOs. And perhaps naturally, more people than ever are considering jumping ship from their current place of work to join a startup all in the hopes of changing the world and just maybe making some money along the way. Now, in practice, the tool for making money often comes in the form of stock options granted to employees in exchange for a lower salary and loyalty to the company as options accrue over a period of time. But stock options are tricky, and recent studies indicate employees have left billions of dollars on the table by not exercising them. And their inability to do so is having an invisible impact on how wealth is being generated in Silicon Valley and who's getting it. Now, to talk a bit more about this challenge, I am delighted to have Frederick Meinhardt, the CEO of SecFi, onto the show to talk about the drivers of the problem and what role fintech is playing to address them. Now, many of our listeners may not have heard of SecFi, but if you have, it's probably a good sign. Though a young company itself, SecFi is making waves working with employees from some of the country's best-known unicorns, aiming to help them understand and maximize the value of their stock options. And in doing so, they're creating a whole new understanding of the sharing economy. Frederick, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks so much, Chris, for having me here. All right. I think, you know, let's just start off. You know, we have lots of listeners. Some of them work for governments and central banks, and then obviously those who work for uh, startups. So let's just do a little bit of sort of startup economics 101. Um, Why are options so important for those who work for um, uh, startups? Well, I think I think you put it out. You, you you put it down pretty neatly in the beginning. Like the reality is that working at a startup is is a bit more challenging and a bit more, um, I would say, risky than working at your average company. The reality is that the majority of startups don't make it till the the famed exit or acquisition by Facebook or one of the other like big tech companies. The majority just doesn't make it. And what happens and sort of how startups try to like compensate employees and get them involved to try to let's make sure that we actually get there is to get the, give them a piece of the company. So it's not just about getting paid. Usually actually get paid a little bit less, unfortunately, as well. But it's about this opportunity to also get a portion of the company next to your normal salary. You know, it's really a pretty ingenious nook here you're hoping to carve out. Uh, how did you ever come across the idea of meandering into the startup employee education options market? I mean, where did the inspiration come from? Yeah, it's, I mean, in the end, usually these companies get started where you go to one of these very painful experiences yourself. <laughs> and th- that's what happened to us. And I think uh, happened to me, happened to, uh, yeah, happened to like the majority of employees that work for SecFi actually. In some way or form, it is their second or third or first um, startup company. We're a startup. We give stock options. And everybody, in a way, had to deal with this and solved it in their own particular way and found us. And was like, 
damn, that's that's a thing that we need to solve and and fix. You know, okay. So when you, when you think about your 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 normal employee, the first question is. Do employees tend to understand stock options, even though they are such a larger proportion of their salary, or at least of, of the value of being an employee? And then, uh, re- relatedly, you know, is that showing up in your data in terms of how many end up actually exercising their options? I, th- I think the way you pose the question is uh, very informative already. Like, unfortunately, most people don't. I think I think the reality is that. Everybody's heard of like engineer number 16 joined WhatsApp and then two year, two months later gets acquired by Facebook instant millionaire, right? That's the beauty story. And unfortunately, the majority of individuals sort of join this company. They're like, oh, great. I also get the stock option package. Let's build a company. And then that might get me somewhere at some point in time. But yeah, this beautiful story that you heard before is not, is not the average. By far, it's not the average. And the reality is that over time, people don't really think about the stock option package. They got it when they got a job offer. They, they skim through it very quickly, and then after that, yeah, you, you put it in, you put it aside, and you start to build, and you start to work, and everybody, you have this family, and new people start to join. It goes like crazy, and then, yeah, you forgot to actually think about your stock options and do something clever with it. That's the that's the majority. I think 80% of individuals never end up exercising their stock options. I think that's the number that, that came out of a research that Schwab did, did a, couple of, uh, a couple of years ago. That is a pretty disruptive narrative, isn't it? I mean, the traditional story is that options are necessary to help incent people to come to work for a startup. And though that may be the case, at least initially, it seems like something is happening where it just doesn't end up that way. I mean, people are getting caught up in the experience, as you're saying, of creating something probably uh, hoping they're they're perhaps part of something bigger than even themselves but but ultimately they never end up unlocking that value embedded in their options i mean 80% is a pretty big number um what's going on behind that number and and why do you think that's the case yeah yeah i think i think for some of them it was probably the right call like this is this is also the reality right that's the beauty of how stock option work it isn't literally no pun intended it is an option to buy a share in a company and you get that option at a very low strike price or cost to to actually pay pay for that share and if that has increased over time well you you, you have a great deal right you can buy something for a dollar and it ends up being fifty dollars like that's who doesn't want that but obviously some don't actually get there and then people end up not exercising which was the right thing to do because that's also the beauty of a stock option and the flexibility that someone has. Like you don't have to put up cash unless you really want to. Unfortunately, a big part of that 80% also doesn't exercise because the costs at some point are too high because you have to pay taxes when you exercise your stock options and you just simply can't afford for the taxes. And that is the reason they can't exercise or they just find it super hard to figure out, hey, is this really worth it over time? Because yeah, if it's, if it's three months before the Uber IPO, you're probably pretty sure that Uber is going to make it, right? That that is not so hard anymore. But that's like for the majority of that timeline and that time frame of the company being private, yeah, that that exit path is not so clear. And it, there's a lot of tough decisions you need to make and a lot of thinking you have to do to uh, to figure that out. So that's really helpful. Basically, this idea that people are not exercising their options in part. Uh, because it may not be the smart thing to do economically, 
Um, and that employees themselves may be unsure as to the ultimate value or even success of the firms they're working for, or, or even the underlying economics that would be in play if they were to ultimately exercise their options in light of the success of their firms. And, and, and to that end, they may not even have the money to exercise their options. And this could be at least in part due to the taxes they would have to pay again, on, on exercising those options. So given this sort of range or complex of problems, where does SecFi fit in the space and, and what problem or problems are you trying to solve? Yeah, yeah. So what we try to do is make sure that everybody understands what they're dealing with. Like that's step number one. So SecFi is all about first giving you the tools to make the right decision and the right call. So I'd rather, like the worst of all, is someone not exercising if they should have exercised, but they didn't do it because they didn't understand. If you end up not exercising because you think about it, you contextualize it, you get all the data points you need, and then you decide, hey, this is not the right call, that's a good decision, right? Then good for you. So we want to put someone in a position to understand, hey, should I do this? Give someone the ability to understand we have an entire tech platform and, and planning suite online that people can use for that. And then the second step is that for some folks, not for everybody, but for some folks, it is simply too, too expensive. And what we then do is we help them with the financing to do so. So we help them come up with the cash and the capital so they can exercise. That, that, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, so, so let's go into the cost um, part. How much of the problem is A, the strike price, and they don't really have the money, B, that they have the money, but they can't afford taxes, uh, or the taxes make exercising their options less than economically rational, or C, that they exercise their options, uh, but they don't know or fully realize what tax hit they take, and as a result, after exercising their options, uh, they need some kind of emergency financing. Yeah, well, that's the worst case scenario that you exercise and then you figure out later that you have to pay tax. And that does happen. Um, and those are really yeah, painful, uh, uh, painful discussions you have with people. And, and then you try to figure that out. Luckily, it doesn't happen often. So most people do see ahead of time, okay, there's, there's going to be two things I'm going to have to pay. One is that I'm going to have to pay to buy these shares. And I, I wire an amount of money to the company. And you should have that. The second problem is that if the value has increased over time, this is maybe a bit, a little bit complex, like it creates, you can call it like phantom income. So it is not actual income, but it is when you buy something for like $10, but it's actually worth $50, but the IRS will say, hey, you have phantom income this year. It is 50 minus 10, you have $40 of income and you should pay tax on that. Like nobody can get income with anything without paying tax in that given tax year. So you pay tax on that given your tax bracket. But the harsh part is that this is, this is an, an asset that is not liquid. You can't sell it as easily. So you, you buy something that potentially has a lot of value, but it doesn't actually give you that value back yet. So it is paper money, phantom income, and you have to pay tax on something you don't have money for. Um, and that is, the, that is the difficult situation. So it seems to me that what you're also describing really fundamentally is an information asymmetry embedded in their employment since most employees probably don't even know the value of their companies when they start. So what should they then do and, and better yet, what exactly do you do to help them out? 
First of all, someone should always ask, like ask the company you're going to work for and ask these data points. Unfortunately, too many people don't. And the company should tell you that that's, that's I think, first of all. But um, we also give you that, that information. So what SACFI does, like we gather all types of information on private companies and we gather that on, on the platform. So when you, can, when you sign up, for example, you indicate, hey, I work for company X or Y or Z. We have a lot of data on that company. So it's the valuation that the last uh, investors paid, uh, uh, paid shares for and what price they paid shares for and so on. It's, you can all find that. So you can make a better estimate. And that gives you these insights like, hey, how much tax should I pay if I, if I exercise? How much will I pay the company if I exercise? Like first, getting that information, getting that knowledge really, really helps. Is there a tool whereby if you're starting off, there's a way to say if the valuation of your company is X and doubles over two or three years, you can expect Y taxes? I mean, is that part of the experience? Yeah, that's part of the experience. And that's what a lot of people use it for. So, hey, what could this be? If, if it's worth X, like what would that mean for me? And if it's Y, what would that mean? So you can really plan out and sort of do a scenario planning for yourself so you better understand the situation. Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, like I guess, um, kind of re- retirement planning where they say, well, yeah, you know, is. like, like, yeah. like well, 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 how much you know, money do you want to save for, for, for X Yeah, you can, you can uh, like, almost like drag and you can see it like up or down or what happens if I put a little bit more in and a little bit less in, what then happens? You can see these kind of tools and like the, the wealth fronts and the betterments and these kind of, but then for stock options specifically. But just circling back to your initial observation, um, at what point, beyond the taxes and the like, does one know or should know that it might be a good idea to go ahead and exercise uh, stock options? Is it better to exercise options earlier in the life of a company or later? And, and what are the strategic considerations that uh, usually come into play? Yeah, I agree. Like in the end, that comes first, right? <laughs> should I do this? <laughs> is it even clever? Um, well, in, in this case, like you could become a little bit like an investor, right? That is in the end what you actually are. So you should also see this, like, am I going to make this investment? And if you're going to make an investment, like if you understand the space, then I think you can potentially make it on your own. If you don't understand the space, like talk to an expert, talk to a financial advisor, talk to a company like Sacfi to, to figure out, hey, does this make sense for me? Um, two important things, I think. One is that, yeah, obviously the longer you wait, with exercising, the more tax you're going to pay. So exercising sooner from that perspective can be seen as better. But the longer you wait, the more information you know, actually, if the company is going to make it. So unfortunately, yeah, you can like come in and exercise immediately. But then the majority, like when the, after the company raised 50K from, uh, <laughs> from someone on the street round, let's go all in. And then a year later, didn't make it. That, that likelihood is obviously far higher. <laughs> so yeah. Unfortunately, there's no silver bullet here. Do the calculations change if a company is is acquired by another company as opposed to, to doing an IPO? Um, yeah, that's a, this, this becomes a little bit technical. But yes, yes, it, like the valuation can change because this really has to do, and these are a couple of complicated terms perhaps, but this has to do in the end with liquidation preference. That's, the, that's, the, that's what it's called. And Usually when venture investors or private equity funds pour in capital in a company, they get a sort of like preferred return. It's, it's almost like first, first money in or for like last money in, first money out. That is basically how it works. So the last investor that put money in, uh, like a venture capital investor or something like that, is the first money out. 
And this ruling can really impact it if a company is, is acquired. So in some cases, you have these examples where a company might be acquired for 500 million, insane amount of money. But general rule of thumb, if that company has raised 500 million to get to this 500 million valuation, an employee might actually get zero because all of that 500 million is going to go back to the investors that actually poured that capital in. So liquidation preference is super important to understand when you make this assessment. Yeah. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of action in this space. You know, mm-hmm. there are different ways in which companies are even going public, which yeah. which presumably then impact, you know, how one even thinks about uh, options. Um, you know, the, the, the example of, of obviously, you know, getting acquired versus doing an IPO, that then leads to questions about SPACs, you know, the biggest craze, right? You know, um, questions about direct listings as opposed to doing an IPO. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, do these potentially secular changes in the way in which companies are either going public um, or, or fundraising, you know, how does that impact how uh, both sort of SecFi thinks about the information people should know, and just yeah. just even more 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 generally, you know, uh, for employees, you know, in this world of of startups. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's a really positive thing for employees because there are more ways the company can go public or get to an exit, and that means that the likelihood of you getting a payout from the stock option package actually increases. So. The fact that there is such a massive amount of specs currently around looking for companies to acquire and go and, and, and take public, well, there's there's a lot of opportunity for individuals to uh, th- that might yeah that might see their stock options be worth something. Um, yeah, it's more likely than it was before. Like there are some like a spec going public through a spec if your company decides to do so versus direct listing is different because a spec is sort of a public company already for the, the people that don't know. And in the end, usually there's a sponsor, uh, an outside investor that sponsored that spec. And they, by definition, get perhaps up to 20% of the company that they acquire. That means that, let's say your shares were worth $10 before, but if it gets acquired to a spec, by definition, it's, it's only worth $8. Like $2 of that went to that sponsor. So yeah, the, the valuation might be the same, but the share price that you get is actually lower. <laughs> um, but yeah, if otherwise your company wouldn't go public... Uh, yeah, it's better than nothing, right? Uh, that's uh, that's for sure. I mean, I mean it, does this mean sort of like you know the second and ger- third generation sort of tools for employees would have to now you know take into account even more sort of scenarios? You know, it's like okay, well, yeah. well, well, you know, just so that you know, here's how the world could look if X Y Z happened uh, yeah. to the company that that that. That you're working for. I mean, and, and 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 if so, is is you know how do you how do you create a, a platform to sort of deal with you know these kinds of new developments? Yeah, well, we're constantly on top of these kind of things, obviously. So that's what what Segway, we we only focus on this. Like we're uh, we're experts in this field on the types of stock options, the tax changes, tax implications. Uh, what state you are in and the types of exits and the types of dilution. This is called dilution, that concept. You could you could run into and what the implications would be. So, yeah. How, how, how do, you know, so, so you are now calling from Europe. I mean, and obviously there are lots of different sort of tax regimes, both at the state level in the United States and then uh, and, and, and nationally. 
Yeah. Um, uh, do you, you know, plan on, you know, globally offering this kind of thing, or is it just, you know, let's focus on those uh, innovation hubs? Um, it, we do focus on innovation hubs, but there are global innovation hubs. So in a way, yes. <laughs> um, I think the reality is what you see, like in the end, we're in a global world. So the, the majority of large unicorns that, that, that pop up in the US, at some point, they, they will look at international expansion. So you have these kind of hubs in London and in Europe and in other um, uh, like countries in, in, in Europe and even in Asia. And those will have also employees that work for those similar companies and they deal with similar problems. So in the end, it is a global problem. And I think across the world, you see this concept of awarding employees with stock options. I think it's a trend and a growing trend. And I think rightfully so, because it's an amazing way. And I think it's also an amazing way to spread wealth in a way, because, yeah, if otherwise 100% of the company might be owned by X number of investors, well, these days, luckily, it's 80% is owned by these investors and 20% is owned by these 5,000 employees. And it's so amazing because that wealth will start to like disseminate itself because they're going to start new companies and new businesses. And so it's, it's, I think there's more ways to get that money back in the economy. So I think that's a really positive, positive thing. Just listening to this conversation, it seems like on the one hand, people should work to get all the necessary information they can on day one. But most people don't know whether... Or, or if a company they're working for will one day be a unicorn. So they don't know if it's really worth all the energy. You know, uh, options are a lot like a lottery ticket. If it pans out, great. Uh, but of course, if it does pan out, now you haven't been worried and maybe you should have been worried, uh, which creates a, a bit of a tension. So with that in mind, when is it rationally worth someone's time to really put forth all the energy to think through or to review one stock options? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, rationally, uh, considering is it worth your time? I mean, obviously it is. Like, this can be so valuable if you make the right decision. Like, you gave up a lot. Most people give up a lot to actually work for, for a startup company. Like, you really earn less than, than, than at larger other companies that you could work for. Um, usually, th- there's long hours. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. Um, and if it then pays off and you end up losing it all, worst of all, or you end up making 30% or 40% less because you made worse decisions. Yeah, people spend a lot of time trying to like optimize getting a higher interest, uh, interest like a checking account, for example, or they, yeah, let's, let's get a percentage point interest of my credit card uh, bills, for example. Yeah, that's nothing <laughs> compared to what this could be worth. So in terms of like, is it worth it? I think it is definitely worth it. And what you should do is that, Obviously, at the Series A stage, you shouldn't spend like a, a day, a week on it. But every time the company raises around the funding, and it's not that often, but let's say it's once or twice a year, really do think about it. Hey, what does this mean? Do I still have the same view on this company? And if that is the same view, fine, right? You made the right call. You thought about it a little bit and then you postponed the decision. But as soon as you feel like, hey, wait a second, this is going in a pretty interesting direction. And you usually know because you're in the company. Then, then take action. And then spend some actual proper time on it. That's the advice I would give people. Frederick, thanks so much for joining the show. This is really interesting stuff. Very cool. Love to be on. I have to admit it. I always knew that most employees at startups received stock options as part of their employment. But 
It hadn't really occurred to me that so many people would end up not exercising them, even when things panned out. When you think about it, it can really impact just who wins in our new digital economy when companies grow and go public. But in any event, I think it's worth emphasizing Frederick's point that the very importance of options really puts the pressure on employees to not only know their own value, but to know that of their companies as well. And here, it seems, technology and some enterprising entrepreneurs may be able to make a difference. The question, of course, is the extent to which technology will be able to shed some light on information perhaps intentionally left obscure by founders, while also keeping pace with the multiplying paths companies are now taking to both grow and go public. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.